Danish Dynamite, the Superliga podcast, brought to you by footballindenmark.com. Welcome to episode five of Danish Dynamite, the Superliga podcast. And once again, it's been a fantastic week of Superliga action to unpack. I've got something a bit special this week. Some of you will be aware if you follow my Twitter that I went last week to West Ham versus Silkeborg and this is the third time now that a Danish team has come to the UK this season. So I've been very lucky with that. And I was lucky enough to get a press accreditation to the game, which enabled me to interview some of the players afterwards. And one of the things I wanted to do when I first started this account is bring the stories of the Superliga to people in English. And I always found that, yes, you can take a written interview and put it through Google Translate and get an idea of what's being said. But particularly in the post-match press conferences and the one-on-one interviews that happen on video, it's really hard if there's not subtitles put in to, to get a sense of what's going on. And sure, you can ask a Danish person, what's the takeaway from this interview? But really getting a, a line-by-line translation is very hard. So after the game, I hung around in the mix zone and the... Silkeborg players and staff had already done the, the the press conference. They'd already done the Danish media. And so were very tired. You know, it was late. It was about, I don't know, 10.30 p.m. And they've very kindly, a number of them, stopped to give me some time and had a fantastic chat with Kent Nielsen, the, the Silkeborg manager. Incredibly warm, generous man with a great footballing mind. And it was a real pleasure to be able to speak to him. And then I also spoke to a couple of the players, Nicholas Hellenius, last season's Golden Boot winner, obviously, and has played in the Premier League with Aston Villa. So was kind of familiar with some of the rough and tumble of the Premier League. And also Joel Felix, a central defender who has been more or less ever present for uh, for Silkeborg this season. So I spoke to all of them and I'm going to start part one by just sharing the interviews with you. I know it's, it's a bit strange to be doing post-match interviews a week later, but I hope that for those of you like me who don't speak Danish, this is going to be a really fascinating insight into the manager and a couple of players from a team that have been really impressive on the pitch and we'll get to hear a little bit about that success in the interviews. That's going to be in part one. And in part two, I'm going to have Casper de Lind on to talk all things Superliga, but with a specific focus on his team, FC Norgeland, who are the current league leaders. And he should be able to provide a really interesting insight into how they can maintain this challenge, given this is the first week of the season, actually, where they are now the bookies' favourites to win the title. So the pressure is on them finally and how they'll adapt to that, how they'll manage the transfer window. That's all to come, as well as talking about all of the action this weekend just gone in the Superliga. So another action-packed episode. When I first started doing this, I stupidly assumed that I'd just be switching on my microphone once a week, talking some Superliga, unplug the mic, download the episode, and away we go. If only I'd known the amount of effort that goes into each and every podcast in terms of setting up the guests, preparing for it, recording it, editing it, mixing it. So I hope it's worth it. I hope you guys are enjoying it. And for those of you who have signed up to be a Football in Denmark Patreon, I really, really appreciate it. If you want to join them, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash football in Denmark, and you can sign up for the price of a coffee a week. But for everyone listening to this really thank you for the support and enjoy this episode so without further ado let's get into part one and kent nielsen so the first interview that's coming up you'll hear me speaking to kent nielsen the silkeborg manager who of course won the superliga with alborg and has been really the architect of silkeborg's success taking them up from the first division and taking them into europe as a newly promoted side winning the bronze medal last year so we're going to hear from kent first first one's probably an obvious question but when you took over silkeborg in the first division did you expect that within 3 years you'd be fighting for the league title and playing uh, west ham in the in europe this is a fairy tale especially uh, for many of these players uh, none of them have experience anything like we experienced last season with a bronze medal the biggest surprise in many 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 years and also the way we did it then we come into these uh, matches uh, disappointed we were disappointed that we didn't qualify for your league because we thought we we had two good matches against the Finnish team when we saw uh, yeah. 
the group we uh, were picked in was thinking, oh, oh, oh my God, because uh, it was only huge clubs compared with us. But we had done well. So, uh, so it uh, and have been very uh, playing with a lot of courage, uh, even though we were playing against teams that are better and have better players than we have. And I'm also sure they have also better staff. But we have uh, done it our way and uh, we've been yeah, surprised that... Uh, that uh, we have played even matches. I know West Ham is the best team today, no, no doubt about it, but still, it's still 1-0 and it's still a penalty. Uh, and so many chances they didn't have. We didn't either, but, but again, uh, we have played in some way a, a low score. We were playing an even match in uh, Silkeborg and uh, when we played in Anderlecht and lost 1-0, uh, it was uh, very tight and it was also a penalty we lost on. Mm. So in general, it's been really a fairy tale, and uh, we are so pleased that we now have a final where we can, you know, with a, a good result, can uh, can progress in the in the uh, in this tournament. Yeah, I was going to say, how frustrating was it that? The scoreline is only 1-0 at the end and it was quite a soft penalty and there was no VAR to get, give a second view. Yeah, it's, it's part of it, you know. It's, as I said also in the press conference, it, it was a scrappy penalty. Uh, you know, it wasn't necessary uh, to give the referee the chance, you know. We should keep a little bit distance and, uh, and of course he can always point at the penalty spot. But that's just how it is. Again, we were not... We thought that uh, we played a, a very bad first half, where in the second half there you could sometimes could see what we can with the ball. And uh, we were disappointed we didn't do that in the first half where we were defending most of the time. But as, as I said, we didn't create many chances, but we have a, a 50-50 chance, maybe two or three of them. And uh, if a small team shall have a result with a great opponent, you need to have quality in, in those situations. And we didn't have that today. I'm not a tactical genius, but I have noticed that your team like to get on the ball, pass a lot, and uh, this was actually the first game in Europe this season where you had less possession mm. and, and fewer passes. Mm. Were you anticipating that? Was that part of the game plan? No, it wasn't. Uh, We've been struggling a little bit uh, with injuries at the moment. Uh, we, small clubs, they don't have huge squads. So uh, we have four main players that, that were lacking, especially uh, we have a number six who is so comfortable on the ball. And he Mark. is uh, Mark Brink, yeah. He's the guy that uh, uh, set things up for us. Mm-hmm. You could see uh, when Kuz came on number seven, suddenly it started yeah. with a different flow. And then our two fullbacks that uh, have been tremendous for us, they have been out as well. Uh, but we hope that uh, they can be ready f- maybe for the match on Sunday or at least uh, next Thursday. So uh, that we need to be good on the ball if we shall have a chance, especially when we're playing against, uh, as I said, these uh, very big clubs. And you, you mentioned Kasper Kusk. You obviously with him at Alborg. How, how pleasing is it to see him playing some really nice football this season, you know, after his time recently in Alborg? Yeah, it's been uh, a real pleasure. Uh, he had had now two two year, years in uh, Albo where he was mostly out of the team. Everybody uh, have have always could see what he can, but now uh, he also I think come to the right place where uh, a, a lot of uh, players can support him with the with the style, his style of football. And that suited me, and he had been a great impact for us. Uh, been a, even though we sold one of our best players, Valis mm. uh, to to Brunby, and everybody was a little bit con- concerned. But we were really uh, pleased that we had the option with uh, with Kusk, and he had, you know, I think it's I don't know how many assistants and, and goals he had scored, but it's a great impact for us. Uh, so we are pleased with him and. Um, He's just also become a, a dad. That was also why he oh, was. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was many things. Uh, so, but um, we are pleased that uh, he will be ready for the next matches. How much did the first leg of this game against West Ham? How much did that help inform your plan for this game, or did you already know enough about them? No, the, the problem for us when we're playing against a team like uh, West Ham, and it was the same when we were Singapore. We don't know which player they are playing playing with, right. and it, it was the same here. We didn't, uh, you know, we uh, we didn't know. Uh, we saw the match against Bournemouth the other day. Mm-hmm. We're playing four at the back, but we had a suspicion that may, uh, because it looks like every time they played in Europe, they played three at the back. So, but 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 again, it was not much for tactical. 
there was a reminder for us if we shall have a chance we need to be good on the ball no matter how they are uh, what system they are playing or who they are playing we need to be good on the ball and uh, and it was more that we were uh, again saying uh, telling the players all the time and sadly we were not in the first half and finally you obviously played some football for a few years here in uh, in England what was your best memory from English football I have a lot of good memories. I think it needs to be, you know, the first season I was here, we were runners-up. Uh, I think we played the, the last match against West Ham where we had uh, secured our uh, second uh, place. And uh, the Villa fans, uh, all the way for 90, 95 minutes, they were just singing and singing and singing, even though it ended up free-free. And uh, it was just a tremendous, you know, experience with so many fans in, uh, and, we, and we played in, uh, in, in Liverpool so, so it was a great experience and um, a good memory for me to, 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 yeah, to get back to Denmark Fantastic well I, I can say for an English guy in, uh, in the UK watching your team has been a real pleasure this season so, and, and last season of course so okay. thank you so much for uh, playing this brand of football and wish you best of luck against uh, Anderlecht yeah, Thank you, thanks a lot Next up, we've got Nicholas Hellenius, the Golden Boot winner, who, of course, spent some time in, in the UK and has really been on fire since he's been back at Silkeborg. Kent Nilsson's really got the best out of him. And so we speak to him next. Firstly, I wanted to ask, what's the mood in the dressing room after that? Are you feeling confident that, you know, with one game to go, you can still progress to the, to the knockouts? Yes, we are feeling confident. We, we have a, a final home against Anderlecht. Uh, um, the, we play an even match in Anderlecht and uh, was very close to get a, a draw down there. They get a penalty 10 minutes before uh, the, the time at the end of the game. And uh, we are playing at home uh, on our own pitch and uh, we'll have a full stadium. So, uh, and I think Anderlecht, they, they have to win. Uh, we can uh, get a draw or win and go through to another phase. So I think Anderlecht, they have to come push forward to get a result and uh, that can give us some space we have to uh, take care of and uh, and uh, punish them uh, if they give us big errors then we can play quick yeah and with a lot of energy uh, the fans will give us great and I wondered playing in big matches every week in the Superliga how does a game against a team like West Ham feel different on the pitch is it more intense is there more, more quality yeah I play over here by myself I've been in Aston Villa and uh, when you play every day I remember it by myself the first month was very hard for me uh, when I came here but uh, then I start getting into the tempo and how you play over here mm-hmm. it's just uh, more energy more physical uh, and that is, that's difficult for us we are not the most physical team uh, and uh, then we have to be very good on the ball when the team go that high on us and we were not good on the ball especially the first, first half was very very bad uh, the movement wasn't there and uh, the passes, uh, that was the big difference. I think the passes, when West Ham we pressed them, the passes was always to the best foot on the player. On us, it was a little bit half a meter to the side and on many times on the bad foot. And then it's going sl- uh, the thing's going slower. Uh, uh, so that was the big difference. And they, they read us well how we play and uh, yeah, like you say, have a lot of energy uh, in the pressure and that was difficult for us. Uh, we get Find some better solutions in second half. Uh, uh, Kusk, uh, number seven uh, from our team, find some good rooms. I find some good rooms, we go a little bit more down. That's where the space was. And then we try to get a little bit calm on the ball. And they also have some, uh, you know, nice offensive players. They don't want to press the whole <laughs> game. And uh, you can feel that a little bit. We have a little bit more space and, and get more long attacks. And that was good for us. So we had not big chances, but we had some small opportunities we maybe could get something from. But it's totally the surf win for West Ham. Uh, they could be not say anything to. And after getting the bronze medal, are you looking for silver or gold this season? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we have, we have some disappointing results here in the last two games. We lost four points in the overtime. Uh, so that had been tough. Uh, then we have been number two now and only three points behind number one, I think. Uh, and I actually think we have eight pen- seven, eight penalties against us this uh, East, uh, Easter and, uh, season. And that's hard also. So we don't think the, uh, all the referees' uh, decisions have been in our way. Uh, yeah. So... And I know football, that will turn sometime, somehow, some way, and, uh, and uh, hopefully this season. So there have been small magnets that, we, uh, that we're not in two or three uh, spot right now in the league, but 
we have many games this first time. Uh, many of these players have tried so many games in uh, two months. We still have five games in 19, 18 days. Yeah. So that we're still in the top in the Superliga and uh, and we can we have a final home against Anderlecht and we are through to the cup uh, next round. So uh, that's well done from the team and uh, yeah. and uh, that's because we work hard and uh, very professional. So we have to keep that and then the luck will change to our side. Brilliant. Well, if you want to sleep well tonight, I suggest do not watch the penalty that was given today. I don't think it was a penalty. <laughs> I actually saw the angle and uh, it wasn't a penalty, yeah. but. We yeah. agree on that. Yeah, good. <laughs> Thank you, man. All of us. Pleasure. Thank you, man. And finally, we've got a conversation with Joel Felix, the young central defender who has had a really interesting career. He was born in St. Lucia to a St. Lucian father and Danish mother. Uh, he then moved to Denmark when he was a kid, and he started playing at, uh, first of all, Van Losa and then B93, and actually was part of the FC Copenhagen youth setup. He was on the, the bench for a Superliga game for them, but n- never made his official debut for them. And then he went over to Twente in Holland and played for the reserve side in the first division there before coming back to Denmark. And he's been part of Silkeborg since their return to the Superliga. So I'm going to speak to him next. I wondered how are you managing the extra workload of all the European games and all the travel, you know, on top of the, the Superliga schedule. How is it for, for you on a like a training and a rest and recuperation level? I think the important thing for us is that we take care of our body outside of the field and that's uh, with eating the right things, sleeping and all these kinds of uh, recovery things and uh, that's very important when you have matches that just comes and comes and comes and of course on the pitch we don't do that much like we normally do Um, but the the main focus is outside the pitch to really relax when you have the time to it and uh, use your energy the right way. So um, uh, that's what I would say. Great. And you looked uh, you looked comfortable out there today. I'm sure they got a penalty, but to be that close against the, a Premier League side says a lot about the quality that you, that you have. Thanks, thanks. I think we, we were not satisfied with the first half. They put a lot of pressure and they did very well, but... We didn't find the right solutions to get higher up on the pitch and play through them like we did on, when we were at home. So, uh, but we did better in the second half, and that's where we came to a couple like small chances mm-hmm. where you know everything can happen. So um, it was like first half we were not satisfied, but the second half we did much better. And uh, I just like huge respect for this team and club, like the the way they put pressure on us and. We were hoping that they were not like prepared for the way we played because they have so many important games and you know they play against much bigger teams than than us. So we were hoping that they were not prepared, but they seemed pretty prepared for us <laughs> with their pressure and the way they defended. So yeah, it was like even though we didn't get a draw or win any points, it was something you have to enjoy. I'm lucky when I play football. I'm lucky if two or three people watch it how, when you're playing in a game of this size in this big stadium are you aware at the time of how big an occasion this is or do you just block it out and focus on the pitch like it's any other game for us I think we we are aware like I've, I haven't tried anything like this before so I'm very much aware of uh, the the fans and the big stadium and the media attention and stuff like that so you feel it and you I think the moments uh, on the pitch where you notice stuff like uh, ch- cheers or something like that so you I think I noticed but I, maybe some other players who have played like this before they wouldn't even think about it okay yeah and you must have noticed the Silkeborg fans tonight who were fantastic they were, came in about a thousand of them came and yeah they they kept making noise throughout yeah amazing like I that's what I heard the most that was the Silkeborg fans and they kept the, the spirit <laughs> in the stadium. So uh, can't complain. They were absolutely amazing. And it could be like incredible to give them a point, but we did our best. Great, man. Well, listen, good luck for the final game. Thanks for talking and get some good rest tonight. Yes, thank you a lot. Thank you, you, Take care. That was a trio of Silkeborg players and staff. And hopefully for you guys listening, a really interesting post-match insight into how they saw the game, how they saw the, the campaign in English as a rarity. We're going to get into part two next with Casper de Lind. So grab a coffee, 
cup of tea, beer, whatever takes your fancy. And we'll get into part two just after this. Christmas is rapidly approaching, and what better way to spend the cold winter nights than putting your football trivia knowledge to the test? I've partnered with Pundit Games, a Danish company set up by a couple of guys who, like me, love nothing better than sitting around with their mates naming obscure left-backs from 2007 or trying to work out which player has played alongside both David Moyes and Lucas Moura. Pundit have created a beautifully, and I mean beautifully, designed board game designed for real football fans like you and me, No screens, no downloads, just pure analog entertainment. I genuinely love this game, and I think you will too, which is why I'm talking about it here. If you want to check it out, head to punditgames.co.uk if you're in the UK, or punditgames.dk if you're in Denmark, and use the code DANISH at checkout to get a discount on your game. Enjoy the game, and hopefully you can triumph amongst your friends this Christmas. Welcome to part two, and I'm delighted to be joined by Kasper de Linde. Kasper is a former youth coach, Superliga enthusiast, and massive FC Norgeland fan, and also host of the podcast Norgeland Dreaming. Kasper, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I've looked forward to this uh, for a long time. Fantastic. Well, I figured it would be too easy to just go straight into the Norgeland game. So I thought we might start by just talking about a couple of the other games. But before we do that, can you just tell us how you came to be a Norgeland fan, how you ended up setting up your own podcast, and just a little bit about the journey you've been on as a fan to date? Yeah, of course. So actually, I fell in love with uh, Norgeland slightly by a coincidence. So uh, when I was a young lad, I uh, played football, and unfortunately, I got seriously injured. And I had to uh, do something else because I love football. And I decided to become a coach. And while I was the coach, there was another coach there who uh, was the former owner of FC Norseland's uh, father. Uh, so uh, all in all, uh, after spending too much time with him, I uh, over time started to uh, spend my time at uh, Farm Park, uh, later Right to Dream Park. And uh, that was the beginning, you could say. So I think I, I became a supporter around like, 07, 08, something like that. And uh, yeah, from there on, you could say I've just uh, stick to it. So uh, that's how I, I fell in love with uh, FC Norshla. I've been to a game myself, really enjoyed it. And I have to say that of all the clubs in Denmark, I would say that outside of maybe FC Copenhagen and Bromby, FC Norsland is the one that I get asked the most about. I think it's got such a big interest uh, internationally because of obviously the story behind it, the philosophy, and also the results on the pitch. One of the things that, speaking to other fans in Denmark, tends to get short shrift is the fan scene, which is obviously something that is developing. It's a, it's a newer club. How have you seen that grow and develop? I know there's groups like the Wild Tigers and things like that that are working to get this. Well, let's start with the honest truth, right? Farm is a family, Farm and Epsilon is a family uh, team and stadium. Uh, so um, and it's a small city, right? I think there's twenty thousand uh, located in in Farm, and uh, we're not that many. But the good thing is that we are growing. Post COVID, uh, we have the best attendance uh, numbers since uh, 2013-14. So it is a scene that's growing, and we got our own fine little Capo Tower. So uh, so it is evolving. But I mean, uh, again, it's not where we are the best in the league, and we get bettered a bit for that, and and that's completely fair because. Uh, we are not uh, anywhere near the top when it comes to the fan scene uh, if you benchmark up against the, the big clubs. So it is, um, it's, it's the quiet part of the, of the Superliga for sure. There's certainly lots of noise going on on the pitch this season in terms of the, the performances that you guys are producing. So we're going to get into that in a second and talk about another FC Norgeland victory. But before that, there was a couple of games that caught my eye this last week, starting with Silkeborg Viborg. And this was a game that I was really fascinated for because, you know, it was two teams. Both of them are really actually the title contenders for uh, FC Norgeland at the moment. They're probably your closest, uh, closest rivals. Two teams who obviously were both promoted last season, both played in Europe this season and both have a really I think, enjoyable way of playing. And the game also had this fantastic backdrop created by the, the V-Borg fans with the Halloween TIFOs. I don't know if you've... Have a look on my timeline if you haven't seen that. And the game itself had a lot of drama. There were two penalties missed in three minutes. And it was really a really, really entertaining game. I just wondered, what was your take on the game? Were you expecting V-Borg to turn up to, to Silkeborg and, and win? And 
I uh, I must say I have a very uh, sweet spot for Silkeborg. I, I really enjoy watching them play. I think the way they build up is uh, incredible. I think uh, they are a benchmark for a lot of teams. So uh, often I expect them to win uh, simply because I enjoy the style of play. Uh, and uh, that's also how the game started, right? I, I expected them to go out and be in control. And I think within the first like 18, 19 minutes, they'd had three, four chances where they could have scored with a bit more quality. So actually, that was very much how I expected the game to go. Uh, the more the time went on, uh, the more they struggled. And uh, that was a bit interesting for me. And then uh, when second half came, uh, the tables turned completely. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and maybe that was a case of Vborg's fresher legs starting to show because, you know, Silkeborg had a, a big effort in London on Thursday. And I don't know whether they, I think they travel back that night. So you then don't get much on uh, Friday in terms of training and you've got the day to prepare. So I can see how the, those Thursday night games can have an impact and pe- perhaps that's what did it there. But I think also we've got to give credit to Vborg and I can't really believe what I'm seeing from J. Roy Grot. He looks like he's a contender for a golden boot winner this season and he seems to be scoring on a pretty regular basis now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean the Vborg team is also, I mean, I had them at the bottom of the league when I did my predictions before the season, but I've been uh, so uh, so impressed by what they've uh, put together. Uh, as you say, uh, Grot is a monster and I mean, they really show what they do well is in, as well in the second half. So, I mean, the uh, magic moment from Achuri to Lehmann's cutback to Samburek, I think also very much displays what they do well. So, uh, all credits to them as well. So, it's it's impressive what both Silbo and Viva are doing at the moment. And uh, it's also a salute to uh, a very clear structure in both the way they acquire players and the way they want to play football. I think Vivo especially is good in the low block, which gives them quite a bit of space when they need to defend. So uh, I think it's it's impressive. And then maybe just for a second back to Silkevoy, it's okay. I think uh, maybe a part of the game, of course, the uh, tired people, they uh, that plays a role. But I think uh, uh, Mark Brink and uh, Selqvist are so important for, for the team as well. And I think the substitutes there aren't uh, as strong, but who could expect that? Yeah, absolutely. Mark Brink is a really big miss for them. And actually, when I spoke to Kent Nielsen after the game on Thursday, he, he said as much, you know, it's really hard to come to a stadium like West Ham without a player who's so pivotal to to the way they play. It, it's funny that you mentioned the Zamboret goal as well. He's a player who he's, he's not been a regular starter this season, but from what I've seen from him, it looks like he's got a lot of quality. And that goal was him drifting inside into a more central role. And I think that if that's something he can start to do more regularly... I think that that could be a really dangerous weapon for them to have. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think uh, then they have a complete opposite uh, if they use Nils Mortimer instead. So I think they can either have a player that's a bit more physical and a bit more relational. And then you have uh, Nils Mortimer that can uh, uh, run past a a defender or two, right? So um, I think they have uh, quite a bit of options. And uh, I think that we've also seen that throughout the season. Uh, Saeed is also an absolute superstar, in my opinion. Yeah, really loved watching him play if I had to put you on the spot which of these two teams is going to finish higher this season I think uh, Silkeborg is going to come back uh, when their uh, international or European period here is over and uh, I expect them to become uh, even stronger so I'm going to have Silkeborg up there even though uh, they might as you see now uh, might miss top six if you're a a pessimist right but I think they will uh, definitely make it and I think they will be stronger over 32 games I like it when you ask someone a question. They don't sit on the fence. They've got, an, <laughs> they've got an answer off the bat. Love it. Right. Let's move on to the next game, which was Bromby 3, Alborg 2. And this was, again, another one I was really looking forward to because of the importance it had, not at the top of the table, but at the bottom of the table. This was 10th versus 11th. Uh, I think at the start of the season, I definitely had Alborg 3rd. I may have had Bromby fourth or fifth, but certainly this wasn't what I was expecting to be a relegation scrap. And taking away the, the, I think it was a 94th minute winner, Alborg fans, from what I could see, were sort of reasonably encouraged by the fact that they had come back from 2-0 down to to get to 2-all. But ultimately, they've come away from another game without any points. And it's starting to look quite bleak for them, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I have them in a a really bad position. I get that the game in itself was good from an intensity point of view. And I mean, they have uh, great individualists, 
but uh, I don't necessarily see them uh, playing very well together. So uh, even though the game in itself wasn't bad, I think they will uh, they will be uh, up for a bad run. Yeah, one of the curious things to me was Alan Souza getting dropped. He's consistently looked like their most dangerous player this season, and also Lucas Anderson getting dropped. And you know he's been uh, he's been the captain this season, and both of those looked to me like tactical decisions. I hadn't read anything about them being injured or, or having a knock, and that just struck me as as quite strange. Did you have a similar feeling? Yeah, I mean, especially for me, Sousa is is a bit of a is of a bit of a puzzle. I think uh, with uh, Lucas Anderson, you expect Bonby to come in strong in the midfield. He's not shown his best skills, so uh, if you looked at former credentials, then uh, yes, he should be playing. But if you then look at the in-game tactics here, I, I get why they actually take him out for a game like this uh, because he's not really hardworking uh, by nature. And uh, Bambi is always a, a tough place to go. So, uh, but Sousa puzzled me. I think this the answer to the question is most likely that he is a bit less disciplined in his defensive actions. So, uh, so maybe they just wanted to be more uh, safe in their approach. True, true. And we had a question actually from Sweeperpod, friends of the podcast Sweeperpod, who have said. What's been the fallout for Bromby following their cup embarrassment to lower league opposition? Has it had a knock-on effect on league form or were they already on a downward trajectory before the cup set? So for anyone who has been living under a rock these past few weeks, Bromby lost 4-0 to a third-tier side, Arus Framal. And since then, they've had a draw where they, they scored a, a late winner with Christian Kappis and then obviously this win. So it seems like they have shaken off that bit of bad form. But I certainly would say that they were already on a bit of a downward trajectory going into that cup game. What would you say to that question? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, for me, Bonby has had uh, very few good games this season. It's been inconsistent. They've had a lot of close games. Some has been a win, some has been a loss, but they are where they're supposed to be. When I look at it, at least, I don't think they've been better than what they've showed. So for me, it's just uh, more of the same. Uh, I think there's a little bit of a change now since uh, Ohi and Vess and uh, Valis came in. You can see their offensive output is, is a lot better. But uh, all these new guys, they also maybe bring a bit of uncertainty to the system and uh, the defense have gotten weaker. So uh, there's ups and downs on that as well. But I think over time, these guys are above average in Superliga. So I think they will uh, they will help Bambu go up. But uh, I think they'll struggle still. Can you see either side making it out of the bottom six? No. Okay. <laughs> and to be honest, right, I, when I look at the other teams now, of course, someone can put in a great spell and then it might uh, turn out for them. But I think looking at it now, looking at the way they play, I see stronger teams around them for sure. And in terms of young talent, you must know that area more than anyone as a, as a Norseland fan. 94th minute winner by Oscar Schwartau. Where do you kind of rank his talent level in terms of other players of a similar age in the league? Is he more talented than Rooney Bardaji? Is he more talented than Andreas Sheldrup? I think uh, it's always tough to compare them when they don't play same positions. What I'm very impressed about with Oscar Svartau is the fact that uh, he very often plays, you can say, either uh, as the 9 or the 10. So he's up against uh, big central defenders, which often uh, marks him very closely, as opposed to Shilarov and Rooney, who gets a, a position on the side and then has to beat a man 1v1, right? So I'm very impressed that by the age of 16 that he can already compete. I think uh, he's shown also a few magic moments in the season already. I think uh, the goal has a... There's a great uh, deal of... Um, calmness in the way he actually uh, finishes this ball he uh, takes a, a touch before shooting and uh, I think that is the glimpse of where he's gonna go I, th I think he's gonna be really really good uh, it's a tough comparison to make if you will go further than Shellerob and Rooney because these guys are, are very impressive as well but as long as uh, Bumpy stays true to the plan and uh, give him plenty of minutes I think he has uh, all the opportunities in the world to to make something out of it and uh uh, maybe one day he'll be a, a national striker. I could I could see that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I've been really impressed with his cameos this season and th they have mostly been cameos. Mm. And for a young player looking to make their mark coming off the bench, it would be easy to, to rush your chances, to 
maybe try and get on the ball when you don't need to just to try and get in the eye of the manager and he's uh, he has as you say been been really calm he's taken his goals well I think this was his third goal this season so he's done uh, extremely well so uh, the future certainly looks bright from his perspective and I think he's a very I think what's nice to see is that when you get these players who are, I don't know over time if you'll be a nine or a ten but when you get these young players that is clearly well-developed, I mean, he's good with the back to the goal. Uh, he's good in uh, reading the game. He's had a few great few passes and now also, again, finishing is, is clinical, right? But as you said, it's been mostly cameos. And I think when he started, you see a bit of this challenge towards uh, bringing uh, value to the game. I think he's been better when he's been substituted on. So I think they're bringing him in the right pace uh, at this point. Absolutely. Perhaps it's time to talk about the league leaders now, <laughs> a team close to your heart. They continued their winning ways with a 2-0 victory against Horsens this weekend. Tell us a little bit about the game itself. Was it as straightforward a victory as the scoreline makes out? I think uh, let's start with uh, with Horsens. Uh, zero shots on goal, zero in uh, XG. Uh, that, that tells everything about how much in control uh, there was of the game. When you then score in the, I think it was the third minute, and Horsen doesn't go forward, but just stay back and allows Norseland to pass it around for the full game, then uh, we do what we do uh, very well, and uh, Horsens isn't uh, comfortable on the artificial turf. Uh, so uh, it ended up 2-0, but it could have been 5-0 if uh, things have turned out a bit more positive when it comes to the finishing. So uh, I was actually very disappointed. I, I enjoy watching Horsens play a lot because Horsens, they bring a slightly different game than what we see in the Superliga. Um, but, but I mean, on this Friday night, they were just abysmal. I think the post-match interview with Simon Mackinac that you, uh, even if you saw it, you probably wouldn't understand it, right? So uh, he just said it was a, a laughing stock. He was embarrassed and uh, it was just not good enough. And I think that's just the honest truth here. And adding insult to injury, or perhaps it should be injury to insult, Matei Delach was also injured quite badly. Uh, it looked like he stretching to make a save. He's been one of the, the bright points for Horsens. And you do worry if he's out for a long time, what it means for their prospects. I completely with you. And then on top of that, Gomez was recalled out. First, he got a, a yellow, yellow, red, which would have been one day in the box. Now he got a straight red and straight from Ba. And uh, you can say... That's two games out. That's the rest of the season now. So, or not season, but uh, until uh, the World Cup. And uh, they're going to struggle with these two out for sure. So they must uh, hope that uh, Mount Jensen gets ready because he is he's needed. I don't know if everyone's seen the video, but it was a strange situation to say the least where, where James Gomez was already in the dressing room having been sent off and the referee called the kit man and said, can you bring him back out? Uh, you know, there's been a VAR decision. So he comes back out. The referee says, your yellow card's cancelled. He bends down to tie his boots and then the referee gives him a straight red and he <laughs> walks back to the dressing room. And it was, uh, you know, couldn't you have just passed the message on referee? Come on, did you have to subject him to that humiliation? Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's the good thing was, again, it was at uh, Right to Dream Park, right? So there was a little bit of a laugh, but I wouldn't have uh, wanted that situation to happen at at Park in our Bombay Stadium because then it would have been uh, whatever 30,000 laughing at you right so uh, but I also felt a bit uh, sorry for the guy because um, well he didn't need to make this uh, this tackle and I think it ruins uh, a bit of the uh, perspective on how his season's been at least but you guys he's also an absolutely fantastic player and Delech out Gomez out it's a bit of a knock I must say and Tengstedt obviously leaving early into the season what a player he's been for Rosenborg as well so yeah the, perhaps they've got something to do in the market being completely frank and honest with you, in my preseason predictions, I had Norgeland 10th and I feel like a complete idiot having said that. But I just wondered, what was your honest prediction at the beginning of this season for, for how you'd do? And this might sound pretty weird uh, because I was actually fairly positive. And the reason why I was positive was because the 10 games that no one saw when we played in the relegation game, we were the best, as I saw it, in 9 out of 10 games. You could easily see that Andreas Hansen was a major contribution. Bistop was an absolute monster. And then, like it is every season, if you get a bit of stability in there, then uh, you don't need too much magic for us to pop out. Uh, so I had us around, again, like five to seven. 
feel like the competition in the middle of the league is so tight. So uh, it could have gone both ways. So uh, I was also, I'm also very surprised now that we are uh, the best team in the league. Uh, we have uh, fewest goals conceded and uh, we score a bunch as well, right? So so it is, it's taken me uh, with Storm as well. So uh, I am surprised, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I have to say I'm pleasantly surprised as well. It, I feel like I don't want to see Norgeland doing badly because I think that as a story, as a club, I think it's really important that they not only stay in the top flight, but their way of doing things keeps producing solid league finishes to show that this is a sustainable way of, of running a club and that you, you don't have to do it the way that many other clubs operate. I think uh, that's a very good point. And I think that to second that, I think it's also the only way Norseland can, can become champions. Develop players that you cannot buy. I mean, if Norseland would never be able to buy a Kamaldin or a Damsgaard or a Kudus or Ingvartsen, I mean, we can continue, right? Yeah. If you need to compete, you need to create them yourself. And I think that is also where the strategy has been so clear. And I get uh, why other teams, they sometimes laugh at us when we play... Uh, whatever Shilob at 16 and uh, we play some and then Shilob did really well but we've also played some of the others where it hasn't gone so well from the get-go right so uh, so we are a bit of a uh, a wild card in this race always not towards being champions but more towards like where we're going to end up my sense is that since 2015 in December where Tom Vernon took over and we've seen the uh, the increase in African players I I feel like the talent line is getting stronger and stronger. And uh, now I just saw the Gautier Cup uh, where uh, the Right to Dream team uh, won again, uh, third time consecutively. And I can say that the next ones on the line are just absolutely crazy. So I'm not I'm not too concerned about that uh, over time. Yeah, and Right to Dream has obviously expanded into Egypt as well. So another talent pool that can benefit Norgeland. So yeah, really interesting. I think it's obvious to say that Ernest Nuama has been the sort of the find of the season. We all knew about Nagalo and Sheldrup already and, and Bidstrup, but certainly Nuama has been a real breath of fresh air. We actually had a question from Victor Udbay who said, who will be the next mega talent in FC Norgeland? Is it Ernest Nuama? Is it somebody else? Is there is there someone under the radar who you think is coming up next? Because I, I think we I think we can all say that Sheldrup is the current mega talent in Norgeland. Yeah, so for me, uh, uh, Nuama is in the same category. I mean, uh, I think we'll have him very shortly, so I'm not going to say him. Uh, I think uh, people will be surprised when Ant-Man puts it together. I expect him to really uh, get a get a spell soon. I think he needs to wait his time until Nuama and, and uh, Shilagop is gone. But uh, I really expect great things from, from him. Uh, then I'm very fascinated by Leo Valta as well, uh, playing in central midfield. But as the midfielders are playing now, there's simply not room, right? So uh, Diomande, Bistrop, and Yax has been incredible. So um, when we look towards the uh, the new season, I think these are two of the players who are who are gonna make it pop. And then that's interesting, right? Because that's two of the Scandinavian talents. So we have a Scandinavian leg, we have a Danish leg, and we have Ghanaian leg for now. And then later on, uh, there might be even more. Absolutely. So many of the questions and around Norgeland focus on what's going to happen in the future. And I guess one of the big uncertainties is how you navigate this January transfer window. Because I think had you been fourth, fifth, sixth, there's a, a distinct possibility that Nagalo and or Sheldrup would have been sold. Do you think that's still the case? Or do you think this is an opportunity to hang on to them until the summer to kind of see how the season pans out? I think the philosophy in Norseland in general is that uh, very often it's the individual over the uh, over the team. And that's also why we see a lot of players leave. I think if the opportunity for a guy like Nuama gets uh, too big, we are not going to keep him because, you know, uh, uh, ligament injury and it's all over, right? So I think if the transfer is big enough, then they're going to let him go or shell out for that sake. Uh, I think what we've learned from previous times is that we sold uh, Mikkel Damsko. We rented him back for six months. Uh, and I could see that as a solution as well. So I hope they will do whatever they can to to bring hold it together. But I also think they need to look at the individuals here. Uh, because if the opportunity is there, let's just put something wild out there. But uh, Nuama to uh, a top La Liga club or whatever, it's, I don't think it's responsible to, to keep him. And uh, I mean, there's also great players behind him, right? So... Uh, so uh, I think you need to put the individual first as well. So I actually support the club on that. 
Fair play. Yeah, we had a question from CPH Gunner saying, since FC Norgeland are now favourites, is this a chance to keep the band together for another year? So another season going forward if, if they win the title. Do you think that will encourage any of the players who were potentially going to be leaving to, to stay? Or do you think that uh, that just helps boost the value, I guess, in the, in the market? Yeah, I think uh, I think they're going to, I think they're going to, if they're good enough, they're going to leave. And um, I expect quite a bit to leave. And for me, this summer is going to be the big reset, even even if we win uh, the Premier League uh, or so the Super League. Sorry. Um, so uh, so yeah, I definitely expect a big reset because you look at the the squad now and you can see Bistrop's on a loan. He's not going to stay because he's way too good. Shilrob has already said he's ready to go. Uh, Noama, I mean, interesting offers already came in and Nagalo. And that's uh, five out of the starters, right? So um, it's going to be tough. I just wondered, you know, from a fan's perspective, how do you how do you deal with the fact that whenever you have a player who's good, they're going to be sold? Because I'm an Arsenal fan. Our players who are good, I don't ever want them to leave. <laughs> you know, I want to get rid of the rubbish players, hang on to the good ones. And if someone takes them away from me, I'm really frustrated. I know that it's different for different teams, but you must get attached to these guys and it must be hard seeing you sell them, even if it's what's best for them. Yeah, for sure. And of course, I would love to be uh, in the food chain where we could keep the players. Um, but again, I, even though being I'm a Norseland fan, I would still say if Dortmund comes along, I would go myself, right? <laughs> so uh, in that <laughs> yeah. sense, uh, I, I get where they come from. I would be very uh, uh, dissatisfied to see people move to, uh, you can say, more sad places uh, but if they get a great spot then I, I think they should go because again we are here to uh, win the league by producing the best talents you need to make room as well so you need to look at this on a long horizon and uh, I might be completely manipulated into this thought but I uh, actually buy into it yeah and actually on that thought had Simon Adingra still been around, Ernest Nuama wouldn't have been getting the opportunities that he has this season, perhaps, because they're, they're, they're playing in identical positions. So, you know, one door closes, another opens. Yeah, yeah. and then again, now we talked about the ones that are just below. So Ant-Man, Leo Valta, we could continue with quite a few. But I also watch all the under-19 teams games when I can. And I mean, the bunch of talent there is also pretty impressive. So... Uh, so I'm not too concerned on a long-term horizon. And I think we've also showed now a change to the strategy when we then believe we need someone in. We pick up a guy like Fakir, who's not had a big impact for us yet, but I mean, he's a massive talent in, in the Danish uh, standards. Is there a, a purchase option on him, do you know? Yeah, 18 million Danish uh, krona is what I heard. Uh, okay. So uh, I think that's, again, it's uh, within uh, Epson Oshland's limits. Uh, we paid significant sum as well for Mess Christian Hansen. Uh, and therefore, I think it's uh, it's also doable if he uh, proves that he's good enough. But for now, he hasn't had the chance because he's been injured. Well, knowing that you were coming on here, there were lots of questions for you. There's just a couple more that I'm going to throw at you before we move on to the next game. One was around the fact that this was from M. Hansen, who said FC Norgeland has a really impressive track record in current young Danish national team players. Given the ownership structure and business model at FC Norgeland, will we see an increase in foreign players at the expense of Danish talents going forward? It's a good, very good question. I think... The way I see it is that if you want to become better, you've got to get in the best players. If the best players aren't from Denmark currently, then it's completely fine that we see an increase in international players. I think uh, that's how they scout. This summer they brought in a young Norwegian dude and a, no a young Finnish dude as well, 16, both of them. And they go in because they are big talents. And that's also how I would like it in the future. It's, of course, very nice to look at a guy like Markus Ingvartsen and say he's played in farm since he was like five or something like that. <laughs> uh, but again, if we need to become better, then uh, it's a natural uh, part of the uh, evolution, I think. And then the second thing on that is that everyone needs to remember that you can only play as an African player from your 18. So everyone else get a chance to prove that they're good enough until they're 18. And if they're not good enough at 18, I mean, they need to go somewhere else. Probably Lundby, right? <laughs> Ooh. Um, and the final question was uh, a bit of a, a... Yeah, the final question was from Aska, Aska Ejdrup, who said, how many rounds away are we from the impending Norgeland collapse? <laughs> 
I think it can happen you could, in any time because the league is so close. It's not a lot from the AGF game uh, that we have lost that. Even though we were in control, you know how it is when you're a man down. We'd see mm. it in Ranas. If we had lost both of them, it would have been a completely different conversation now, right? So uh, so I think the league is close. I think there is a chance that we run into a, a hard period as well. But I'm extremely happy with what I see on the pitch. And I think we are getting better round by round. But uh, we are also vulnerable in the central defense, for example. We are vulnerable on right back. So, of course, if we get a few injuries like we've seen in FC Copenhagen, uh, it's a different team playing. So, uh, so I, I definitely uh, fear injuries uh, a lot. One of the teams you mentioned there, we're going to talk about next. So, another one of the games that was really hotly anticipated was Ghana's against FC Co. And FC Co. ran out 2-0 winners in this. And I wasn't necessarily expecting such a an obvious sign of life from them in terms of clean sheet, couple of goals, Cornelius back in contention. Is this a, a sign that they're now going to push on and secure a place in the top six? I feel very confident that FC Copenhagen uh, ends in the top six. I think if you look at the squad, even with all the injuries, I feel like the quality is, is way too high not to make it. Uh, I think it's a completely different story than Bombay, to be honest. So, uh, yes, I think uh, this was what's expected. If you look at all, all the underlying data, uh, you can also see FC Copenhagen is performing a lot worse than they should. So it's also football's a game of uh, fine margins, right? Few goals. And uh, when you are in a, a bit of an unlucky period, then you get a bit less than you should. And it really uh, shows on the league. So I think uh, especially second half where William Clem uh, came on, a huge talent, uh, very modern in his style of play. And Cornelius uh, changed the game. And I think they... Uh, they deserve to to bring uh, three points back to Copenhagen. Yeah, I think that with Copenhagen as well, they probably won't see it like this, but finishing fourth in their Champions League group means that they don't then go into the Europa League. And so they are now from next week onwards able to concentrate entirely on the league. And I think that, you know, had they been comfortably first in the league, they would have probably welcomed the extra European revenue. But at this point, they probably need to focus and have a week to prepare for each game, have fresh legs for every game and and not have that distraction. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, uh, we, of course, as uh, Superliga fans, we have a lot of banter for each other. But again, the program that Silkeborg, FC Midtjylland, FC Copenhagen has been through has been intense. And then on top, you add all the injuries to FC Copenhagen. Then I understand that they have problems in building up the squad and setting their style of play. So, uh, so yeah, I think they will get a lot stronger. Let's say it like that. A couple more games from this weekend. Lyngby lost in the very, very last minute at home to AGF 1-0. It feels like they can't catch a break this season. Just when it looked like they were going to get a clean sheet and a point, it's snatched away from them in the last minute. Did you feel a bit for them? Did you sort of see the goal coming? I actually feel it for them often because I think this season they haven't been playing like uh, a bottom of the league team. But uh, they make personal errors that are way too big to play in the Superliga. And I can relate because that was very much the story of FC Norseland uh, last year in the uh, fall season. So uh, I was sitting there and waiting for it to happen. And then it did at the end. And especially after uh, Senda and Gabo uh, twisted and turned four players. Again, a magic moment. So sad that he didn't make it for him. But uh, then uh, AGF uh, ran with it at the end. So, uh, And I actually think over the full game, AGF was probably like half a goal better than Lungby, but uh, when you get these chances in the 87th minute or whatever it was, you got to take them. And Lungby has just not taken their chances at all this season because the team is not terrible, but they have just, uh, in my opinion, two, three players that is not Superliga standard. Lungby BK English asks, what more can Lungby do this season? Um, if you had to pick one thing that they did over the winter break, whether it's transfer market, coaching change, start focusing on next season, like what do you think is the approach that they should take to end this season with some kind of good feeling amongst the supporters and the, the squad? I would start the rebuild already now. I mean, uh, they were unlucky with Bieland getting injured early. So uh, they've been playing with uh, a suboptimal uh, defense, as I see it. Uh, but I have no uh, prediction at all where they can make it. So I would focus on, on next year and figure out who's there and who's got to play. So 
I also expect a guy like uh, Sandangabo to play a lot more in the in the coming games. Uh, shouldn't give up, but uh, they should be uh, very um, focused on what the the team looks like because they're not going to make it. Yeah, and like you say, I think they have played some good stuff, and I think that if you took the football that they're playing now uh, with the squad, and I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of players who are taken away if they if they get relegated. I think if you transport that football into the first division, I think they've got a very credible chance of bouncing back. So I think there are some signs of hope, but with four points on the board, it probably doesn't feel much like it uh, as a Lungby fan at the moment. If you did the exercise, how many players should they buy to come back? I mean, it would be very expensive. And then with the likelihood of relegation, I mean, I just don't see it. So if they can scoop up one, two players that can be in the squad, uh, that wants to be in the squad next year as well, do it but if not then just uh, play with who you got because uh, um, yeah it's not they're not going to make it I can say that uh, very loud and clear makes sense and a player for AGF I've been a little bit puzzled about is Sebastian Groning he obviously left uh, for a club in Korea in the January transfer window last year I don't think he scored a goal for them didn't really work out he came back to AGF who, who looked like in need of a, a striker and instead he finds himself fourth in the pecking order not really getting many minutes not getting any goals is this a case of just he needs to to get his fitness and find his form or do you think that this is kind of turning into a bit of a bust move I think it's not the coach who bought him so I think it's most like the sporting director that thought it was a good idea because or else it doesn't make any sense for me at all. Uh, so uh, it, it seems slightly misaligned. And when you look at who they got and who they brought in, they brought in uh, Haugen, who started really well. has gone down a bit in form now. They still had Mortensen, who was second top scorer. They brought in an additional striker after that. Um, just seems like a bit of an overload. For me, they can all be good. Imagine if Obi had... Uh, gotten him right it would have been a completely different game they're missing a nine uh, agave has uh, two too many in my opinion so uh it's um it's a bit sad because i really like him if you look at his stats from, from before he left uh, to south korea i mean they were really really impressive so uh i would even say he could play at bunbury as well the thing i remember from his time at viborg was that he missed the most big chances in the league by i think he was twice the number of the next person so you know he could have really he could have almost won the golden boot in six six months um, <laughs> had he taken those chances if he can find anywhere approaching that kind of form again in Aarhus he's he's going to be a, a very valuable asset but it makes sense again that they don't change at this point because the formation's shifting a little bit uh Morton's not on fire and then they have uh, three new strikers who are you going to bring in. They've been playing uh, Kevin Jacob as well as a, whatever we call him, a, a player behind the attackers. So, uh, I mean, it is tough competition. And when you look at that AGF squad, I'm actually a bit surprised that they aren't doing better than they are um, because uh, I think there is more potential than what they're showing. Absolutely. And speaking of potential, FC Michelin played against Obi and lost 2-1 at home. I think this was a bit of a, a surprise result. And they're a squad that, again, has so much potential, so so much talent. And it feels like it's just not really coming together for them. I don't know whether it's a case of they're rotating quite heavily each match because of Europe. I don't know if that's making it difficult for the players to gel together. But yeah, something doesn't feel right there. And with big rumours about Evander heading to MLS, potentially, it could get worse before it gets better yeah it's a tough period when you have these nine games in 27 days and you have a new coach as well very similar story to fc copenhagen uh seems a bit uh, too individualistic in the way they attack and uh i have a big problem with the way they defend uh, i think it's uh, a little bit uh disrespectful when you play against a team like obi uh, which have so strong wingers, and uh, then you don't help out your own uh, left and right backs defending. So I think for me it was actually a little bit of a of a tactical error by Capellas, even though that everyone likes him. Interesting, yeah. And I think that there's two or three coaches who've now joined their teams midway through the season they're going to be counting the hours to the winter break when they can get a, a couple of months to work on it and you do wonder if, if a, a guy like Capellas has since he's come in he's had two games a week and has just been kind of fighting the fixture list and and maybe with a bit of time he can get his ideas across but yeah it certainly seems 
a, a bit they look half decent one week and then the next week look like a shadow of their former selves they are really lacking consistency i think yeah and then you what you see is that you see absolutely brilliant players at their best but it's not really the formation that's making them better and for me as a former coach it's one of the things i look at a lot which team uh has very uh strong ties throughout the full game i think we saw the uh the FC Copenhagen game as well, where they scored a late goal by Vanda, where you could also see that the team just snapped over the middle somewhat through uh, second half. And I think against the OB, it was uh, was not really connecting at any point. So uh, let's give them a bit of time. Uh, but tactically, I'm not impressed at all, but I'm very impressed by the individual levels of some of the players. I mean, Isaksen, Emiliano Martinez, Christopher uh, Olsen, brilliant players for Superliga Standards. Yeah, totally, totally agree on those players. All of those players have been kind of in and out of the team slightly over the past few weeks. So perhaps in the new year when fixtures are a bit more manageable, we're, we're going to see a real first choice 11 start to emerge. Before we let you go, let's talk a little bit about the games this weekend. And Michelin have a nice easy one at home to FC Norgeland. Um How do you see this one panning out? Well, I'm happy at least that uh, Michelin has an important game Thursday night as well. So hopefully they'll have a very heavy legs. Hopefully Capellas continues to not use his wingers to defend and uh, will snatch a 2-1 win. Uh, if it becomes a physical game where they uh, manage to press us down, uh, pass the ball into Kaba, it might be a very different result. Absolutely. So you're calling that 2-1. Yeah, I, uh, yeah I feel that Norgeland are just on on fire at the moment. I think they're going to have too much in the tank for for Michelin. So yeah, I'm predicting a win. I I don't have a scoreline that pops into mind, but I'm I'll, I'll say one nil, one nil to Norgeland. I think that as you say, Norgeland's defence and uh, Hansen and goal in particular. I, I think that that combination has looked really strong this season, and so I fancy them to to keep Sorry Cabo and Co at bay on the weekend let's rattle through the other predictions and i'd love to get a score prediction from you from from all five and i'll jump in if there's one that i disagree with massively but starting with horsons against runners i think uh, we're gonna see a, a runners win and it's gonna be a tight game let's go uh, two one again okay don't disagree with that one uh viborg agf this should be this should be uh, high intensity match yeah a lot of yellow cards huh? that would uh, look like uh, <laughs> it's also it's the right time let's say you have a a potential uh, ban it's a lot nicer to get it in the last game uh before uh, the world cup than it is to get it in the first game next year because then you're not playing in all the uh, all the games uh i think uh, vipo was gonna win uh let's say two nil oh okay i also see a, a two goal margin here i'm, I'm gonna say three one but I think Viborg are just yeah on a tear at the moment, and I think they're going to have too much. Then we've got oh, another great one: Alborg against Silkeborg. Yeah, I'm gonna go bold, and I'm gonna go zero three. I think uh, the lack of like collective movement for Orbe it's going to be a problem when they get, play against the passing machine, and I think they're going to get their asses whooped. Wow. Big words, big words. There's one consideration that I have here, which is along similar lines to Michelin, and that is Silkeborg have a big game themselves in Europe on Thursday against Anderlecht. One that sees them with a real opportunity to progress. I know it's at home, but I think that that might play a factor. I still think that they're probably going to have too much for Alborg, but I think that this is going to be really close, and I could see it being... I could see it being 2-1, uh, potentially 2-2. I, I think that Alborg do have goals in them when they want to, so it's not inconceivable. But yeah, this is going to be quite hard to predict for me just because of the, the wild card that is that European game on the Thursday. But you have been very emphatic with this one, so let's see <laughs> let's see how that pans out. FC Co against Lyngby? Yeah, it's going to be uh, the first time FC Copenhagen really uh, gets back on track, gets all the offensive uh, movements to go. So uh, I'm going to go 4-0. 4-0, wow. Uh, okay, I mean, I think this is a nailed on close to 100% FC Co win, but I think that it's going to be probably just 2-0. I, I think Lungby are still, they play with heart. I don't think they're going to, their heads are going to drop if they go a couple goals down. I think they'll keep fighting, but I think, yeah, the 
quality of the two respective squads is is quite pronounced. It is when you look at quality uh, across the board. I mean, if Ipsico can get it uh, running, then it might be a real uh, menace. Uh, and then the final fixture is OB against Bromby, and there's only three points, I think, between third and and tenth. And everything can change each week, which is what makes this so fascinating. But you'd have to think that OB Bromby is as close a game as you could probably get on paper this weekend. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I mean, Kigovic back in, Bess uh, out for the game. Uh, I would expect it to uh, be a a draw, uh, a very tight draw, but. Um... Yeah, it's, it, this game is going to be uh, very interesting to follow because it's going to be very defining for where they're going. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to call this one one all. I'm with you. <laughs> Fantastic. Casper, thank you so much. Really enjoyed talking to you today. That's all we've got time for on the show, but hopefully you'll come back and, and join us in the future. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure participating. You can find me as ever on Twitter at Football in DK and you can find Casper at Casper Delind. Please do enjoy the upcoming action and see you next week for the next installment of Danish Dynamite.